because I need a new disc, I think. So uh, do I. I'm not positive yet, <laughs> but I think I do. And uh, it's kind of sad because this one was, this is not even that old. It's, mm-hmm. and I love me some A-Data. I've never had one die on me. I have, I still have three. Well, this is a spinning, house. a spinning drive. And it is a you little. breathed on it wrong. A little older, but it hasn't, it's just basically sat on the desk really seriously. It was in a, it was in an enclosure. Um. Oh, uh, see, so you kicked the desk too hard one day. Three, three terabytes there, right? Uh, see, so get. Oh, Dan, Dan, Dan. The three, t- the three terabyte Seagate has the highest failure rate of any Seagate ever. I know, I know, <laughs> I know, I know. It's like an oddball amount, and I probably well, I mean, you, sh- didn't, you didn't know that when you bought it. I'm sure. Not when I bought it. I, I knew that after the fact. Yeah. Well. Coming up in this episode, we're discless. We take a leaf out of the history book. We climb the Alpine Mountain, pick a very small editor, and we don our hoodies. Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 8 of Linux User Space. I'm Liam. And I'm Dan. Dan, 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 Dan. Um, how did it happen that both of us are having weird disc issues? Um, I'll I'll let I'll let you start. Uh All because... right. well I got this this <laughs> this three terabyte Seagate, which is noted for its ultra reliability. Oh, oh no, see, no, yeah, just, back, just kidding. Backblaze, I think Backblaze said that they were the most reliable, right? Yeah, I might be on the opposite end of that chart. I think it's down at the bottom, the worst, yeah. worst one. I, well, I won't say it wasn't important, um, but I, I'm not missing anything because I had it in multiple places, I, like you're supposed right. to, right? So I'm not missing data, but I am missing my space to to put things, like, and so I'm I'm a little bummed by that. Right. So remember that little power outage I had that I had to rebuild my router and 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 do all of that jazz. I where it, it, cor- did it cor- more. It, it where it corrupted the the drive that was in my router. Well, it yeah. also took this thing out at the same time. Wow. And so I don't know that it's the disk or if it was in the external drive enclosure. You know, controller module. I don't know. That could be the part that's that's toasted. I haven't actually stuck this in a machine yet to see if there's any data on it still or if the disk is just totally toast. But that three terabyte drive, we mm-hmm. found out um, well after you bought yours. So it's not like you would have known. Oh, yeah. They hadn't done any tests or anything like that when I had actually bought the thing. And I have had it yeah. for a while, and it, but it's like it's been working great. And it's a spinning disk. So... Like the smart data usually will give you some warnings when it starts to to fail or go a little south um, because it's a spinning disk. Um, whereas like an SSD is just going to fail like hard yeah. and, and be gone. Um, well, the, the cool thing about the SSDs is they tend to, to fail open. So they you do. can still retrieve data off of them after they die. Right. But... But you know, once the once the controller's gone, like I think you're really kind of up a creek at that point. Right. But. So I don't I don't know that it's the drive controller that's on the drive, because like I said, it was an external drive enclosure that was attached, you know, USB to my machine that I just 
I just sort of use this for extra storage space and some some backup things um, just so I had another place to put stuff because it is, right. you know, three terabytes. That's kind of sizable-ish, if you will. I mean, oh, and it, it is, and, yeah. And like when we're editing videos, I'd like kind of keep some of that stuff until I know it's actually been pushed out to YouTube or, or someplace like that um, where I don't need to keep all of the data. I just might need to keep the final version of something like, um, you know, like the video files get big. So I'm, I'm just trying to save like the original stuff until I know we've cleared the, the editing hurdles and everybody's right. good. And then I can get rid of the, the original stuff. I don't need to keep all of that because now I've got the compressed versions that, that yep. we've actually deployed someplace. So. Yeah, it's like 20 gigs, like just, just yeah, raw big. data. Yeah. It's right. like 20 ish gigs between us both. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it gets big. And so I just need kind of like, I don't know, some temp file space most of the time is what I end up yeah. using it for. Yeah. So scratch space. That, that, mm -hmm. I, have, I have a disk that's exactly for that. Um, I think it's ADAT. No, no, it's uh, SK Hynix. I have the, I have the oh, box yeah, that's over good, there. That's a good one. Yep. Mm hmm. Yep, uh, they make memory, so they do. I figured, I figured SSDs right, I mean, what, should be what, right in their wheelhouse, right? Exactly. What what is what is an SSD if not just memory? memory. Special it's memory, non, but yeah, non volatile, right? But yep. still, um, yep. yeah. So I figured, yeah, why not? And it hasn't failed me yet, but it's not even been quite a. I don't think it's been a year mm -hmm. yet, so I, I don't know for sure. But so far, it's doing pretty good. It's really fast. Um, but I do have a disc that isn't doing so hot and I'm in the same boat as you. I have historically, uh, over the past year had, uh, a couple of brownouts and a couple of full on blackouts, just the same. And I don't know if, um, this, uh, a data SU 630 mm -hmm. is a casualty of that or well, it if stresses it's them if nothing else. Exactly right. I mean, because uh, there's no telling that I, I, I don't know what I was doing on the machine at the in that in that mm -hmm. moment because my my thought process was, oh God, the power's out, <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? Um, and it's the same deal. So um, I I haven't gotten it into one of the one of the cool little docks, plug it into another machine, right. and and figure out what's going on with it or or anything. So I don't know that it's actually fully dead. But uh, a few days ago, uh, I'm I'm in the middle of doing something, I think. And this is on my, my Linux Mint machine. Uh, I open it up, I go to Discord, and all of a sudden things are like not moving around correctly <laughs> on the desktop, right? Like the stuff is freezing, but this thing is not freezing. And I don't know exactly what's going on. And then eventually I'm like, okay. I mean, after a minute or two of, of this shenanigan, um, I'm like, okay, things are hanging up. I should probably just reboot. Yeah, try right? a reboot, and, yeah. And I'm not confident that the the menu will do me. So I open up a terminal uh, and it doesn't actually open up. So I'm like, whoa, okay. So something's really wrong. Yeah. Uh, I uh, hard off the machine and then uh, bring it back up. And I get the uh, no bootable medium. Yeah, found no operating no, system or yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. No boot. Mm. Uh, so, yep, that's kind of where it left me. And so, huh. Uh, I'm glad that I have extra discs laying around that right. I don't really have to worry about that too much. But that was disheartening. Yep. Uh, I d I don't suspect it had anything to do with the operating system that was on it. I I, I have it's it's the disc somehow some right. way that that got corrupted or the disc itself is failing. Mm -hmm. Um. 
but yeah, so yeah, yeah, it's not- just a bummer, right? I mean, it, it, it's it's uh, like we take all sorts of precautions and we've got backups and whatnot, but it's still slows you down and yep. it's a it's a hitch in the giddy up uh, i don't know it's it's a real bummer yep it really is and that's annoying but yeah like like dan said i have i have a couple of copies of the data that was on it anyway so you know but it's just annoying mm-hmm. it's annoying and it's not free to replace right i mean i have other discs but i paid for them right oh, so yeah, it's not same, like same. Uh, like I've, I've got a bunch of like uh i don't i don't know if i have any this big? Yeah, I might. I, I think I might have some four terabyte ones, but I've got some two terabyte ones that that probably will, you know, sub into this, you know, usage just fine because I wasn't using all of three the three terabytes that were on this one. So, um, yeah, two terabytes is probably just going to be just okie dokie. <laughs> yeah. So how is it, um, now my real question is, how is it did we both have disc failures in the same couple of weeks? I don't know. I mean, I, I, yeah, like, I don't know. Like, that, that's a good question. I think they happen on a regular basis for a lot of people, but uh, um, like the power situation here, uh, because of the storm season, I, I guess, um, yeah. was what triggered mine. Yeah, we had we had excessive heat, so we oh, ended up yeah. uh, in in weird situations as well. So I I suppose that's that's both of our issues, but still, they failed in the same weekish. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Huh? My mine was a sympathy failure, Dan. It could be, yeah, maybe, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Who knows? But anyway, I guess we'll get them. We'll get them swapped out, and mm. we'll get everything set back up. Yep, but, sure will. Mm, still annoying. If you like what we're doing here, make sure to send us a buck over at patreon.com slash linux user space we really appreciate our patrons uh i mean really appreciate you guys you guys make this show possible um it's 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 not free to produce right so we appreciate any uh you know help you can give us and if you haven't subbed on youtube do it do it now while you're waiting youtube.com slash linux user space is is our channel um you know Go ding the bell and you know get all the notifications and stuff. Back in 1997, Dave Sineage created the Linux Router Project, or LRP. It was a networking-centric mini-distribution of Linux. And it's described as small enough to fit on a single 1.44 megabyte floppy disk and makes building and maintaining routers, terminal servers, and typically embedded networking systems next to trivial. The Linux Router Project is known to be one of, if not the earliest embedded Linux distribution, meaning it booted from some type of disk, loaded everything into RAM, and finally pulled the configurations, which were usually stored on a flash or floppy disk. It meant the operating system itself was stateless, or in other words, had amnesia. It would apply the configuration stored on the floppy or flash on every boot. So, changing the state of the router meant writing a new configuration file to the floppy or flash. The Linux router project enjoyed wide success until the second half of the year 2000, when money was running out. Of the near $4,000 needed at the time, Cineage 
had gotten less than 1,000, and the costs kept growing. The last releases of the 2.x series, 2.9.7 and 2.9.8, were released on July 29th and September 12th of 2000, respectively. Version 4.0 was slated to begin development the very next month. While Cineage was looking for cash flow, various new projects based on the Linux router project had been brewing for many reasons, including the 4.0 rewrite, one of which, in October, was the Linux Embedded Appliance Framework, or LEAF project. It was started by Charles Steinkuhler and David Douthit. Two of the more popular versions were Oxygen and Eigerstein. Oxygen was meant as an enhanced version of the Linux router project version 2.9.7, with better package management, a fix for log overflow problems, and a new TFTP boot feature. Eigerstein specialized in easy setup of complex firewalling and DNS caching. These versions had lots of features or setups that just never showed up in the Linux router project. Up until January 2001, Cineage continued work on LRP 4.0, with not much to show for it. Cineage was unhappy with it, to say the least, because it wasn't shaping up to be any different than the 2.x series he had previously been releasing so he began creating proof-of-concept work for 5.0 after abandoning 4.0 outright. But by this time, everything was way behind schedule. What should have been released in the summer of 2001 was barely showing any progress at all. Cineage was aiming for perfection. A new shell, a new scripting language, a new packaging system, full application management, and of course, dropping SysV in it for a brand new init system designed by Cineage himself. But in January of 2003, after the LEAF project and others had been gaining popularity over the past two years, Cineage admits to himself the Linux router project was done. It wasn't until June 22, 2003 that a public announcement was made, but most people knew it was coming. With LRP 4.0 abandoned in alpha and work on LRP slowing to a halt, the will, the code, and the money was just not there. While Dave gave up on LRP as a career, the LEAF project was still there, turning heads and ready to take the lead. The admins that hadn't already made the jump would end up using LEAF, one of its branches, or some other project entirely like GNAP, the Gen 2 network appliance. GNAP, as its name suggests, sprang from the same need as LRP and LEAF, but using Gen2 as a base. In November 2004, the 0.5 version of GNAP was released. One year later, in August of 2005, while working for a nonprofit company on VPNs and firewalls and finding that no existing solution perfectly fit, Natanael Copa, announced a new distribution on the linux.leaf.devel mailing list. He noted that, I have been working on a proof-of-concept distro lately that I would like to describe as something in between GNAP and bearing uclibc. And bearing uclibc, by the way, was a specific branch of the leaf project that used the bearing kernel and uclibc a much smaller C library as compared to glibc, which focused on saving disk space. Copa's proof-of-concept distro was codenamed Alpine, and uclibc 
would be the C library. A new fork of leaf was born. Alpine originally stood for a Linux-powered integrated network engine. The idea was that the distro would be focused on networking and be a tiny engine or framework to build bigger systems on. The earlier versions are a little cloudy, but we see Alpine 1.4 being developed in 2006, 1.5 in 2007, and Alpine 1.6 released on April 30th of 2007, and the switch to development of 1.7 in the days after. In 2008, October 18, while the 1.x branch of Alpine was still in full swing, we can see that already work was beginning on Alpine 2.0, with the first commit labeled added busybox. In 2009, February 5th, Alpine 1.8 was released, and September 30th, Alpine 1.9. 1.9 is the first version of Alpine that ships with OpenRC and has the ability to install onto hard disks, features that we still see today. 2010, late February, early March, sometime in there, Alpine 1.10 is released and is also when the team learns their distribution is being used on servers. And shortly after, on April 9th, a new website is launched with a bit more styling than the plain text of the previous site. August 21st, Alpine Linux 2.0 is released and brought a new uclibc that broke ABI compatibility with older versions. If you wanted your binaries to work with the new native POSIX thread library, you'd need to recompile. November 1st, 2.1 is released and is the beginning of a tighter, six-ish month release cadence, but with minor releases as necessary in between. 2011, May 6th, 2.2 is released with initial GNOME support, SHA-512 password hashing, and better disk partitioning. November 1st, 2.3 is released with the new Linux kernel 3.0, unbound DNS resolver, and encrypted LVM boot support. In 2012, May 3rd, 2.4 is released with better network, bonding, and VLAN support. November 7th, 2.5 is released with kernel 3.6.6 and GR security patches already applied. GR Security is an independent security company that, at the time, wrote security patches for the Linux kernel. 2013, May 17th, 2.6 is released with Kerberos over NFS support, Pixie booting support, and the inclusion of a new technology that had been brewing since 2008 called containerization in the form of Linux containers, or LXC. As containerization was taking off in other spheres, mainly Docker, earlier in the year, Alpine was a perfect fit with its minuscule memory footprint and fast boot times. No other Linux distribution did it better at the time. And that was what the industry demanded. From here on out, Alpine is a mainstay. June 20th, the team announced... We are recently receiving more and more support questions from users, but our infrastructure does not provide any place for them. To provide an easy way for users to contact each other and Alpine Linux developers, we have set up Alpine Linux Forum. The earliest posts were mostly about getting Zen working, 
and, of course, about the progress of Alpine 2.7. On November 8th, 2.7 itself was released as a normal upgrade and contained new versions and bug fixes, but nothing groundbreaking since the focus was now on 3.0. And on June 4th, 2014, Alpine 3.0 is released, and UC libc is dropped in favor of Muscle libc. Just like the 2.0 release, recompilation of old source needs to run its course again. This release also marks the beginning of ARM support, though no usable releases are available just yet. December 10th, Alpine 3.1 is released, and so is the first release built for the Raspberry Pi. 2015, May 26th, Alpine 3.2 is released and included the Mate desktop. December 18th, Alpine 3.3 is released with big renames of the editions that already existed. For instance, Alpine became Alpine Mini, and a new ISO taking the old Alpine name included more packages to support installations where network wasn't always available. The community repository is also created during this release cycle containing packages from, you guessed it, the community. 2016. May 31st, Alpine 3.4 is released with support for running within VMs, better DNS support, and running on the Linux kernel's long-term support release, 4.4. December 12th, Alpine 3.5 is released, and this marks the first version to drop OpenSSL for Libra SSL. As a result of the massive bugs found in OpenSSL back in 2014, including the infamous Heartbleed. It also included ZFS on root support and Python 3 improvements. 2017, May 24th, Alpine 3.6 is released with support for 64-bit PowerPC and IBM Z systems. Z? Z. A <laughs> couple days later, as a side note, PostMarket OS, an Alpine-based Linux distribution focused on smartphones like the PinePhone, Librem 5, and others, has its first release. November 30th, Alpine 3.7 is released and now supports EFI and Grub within the installer itself, making installation a whole lot easier for folks wanting to see what Alpine is all about on real hardware. 2018, June 26th, Alpine 3.8 is released as one of only two releases that are released within one year but brings with it netboot on all architectures, support for the Raspberry Pi 3, and the end of support for the last GR security hardened kernel. 2019, January 29th, Alpine 3.9 is released with improved grub support, initial support for the newish ARM v7, and the backtrack, like so many other distros, to open SSL. Many of the vulnerabilities that caused the initial switch had been addressed, and over the years since, many more eyes were constantly on the code. June 16th, Alpine 3.10 is released with LightDM for login and display management, which shows a renewed interest in running Alpine on the desktop. Also, IWD replaces WPA supplicant but is missing extensible access protocol or EAP support for now. And this is important for enterprise deployments mm -hmm. of Wi-Fi. Oh, yes, it is. 
December 19th, Alpine 3.11 is released with Raspberry Pi support, initial GNOME and KDE Plasma support, and the addition of Vulkan, DXVK, and the Rust programming language. In 2020, May 29th, Alpine 3.12 is released with support for the D programming language. And on December 29th, Alpine and others just do it better. So Leaf sees its last stable release at 7.0.1. 2021, January 14th, Alpine 3.13 is released and comes with official cloud images for services like AWS. Cloud in it and better Wi-Fi support on the software side. June 15th, Alpine 3.14 is released with fail to ban, taking a backseat to SSH Guard because it failed to ban. And Clam AV is now community supported. November 24th, Alpine 3.15 is released with kernel support compression using GZIP. GNOME 41 and Plasma 5.23 land and disk encryption is now supported right in the installer. 2022, May 23rd, Alpine 3.16 is released. And the last release of this history with better NVMe support, adding SSH keys at boot, a new admin user creation process, and a new setup-desktop script for desktop environment installation. And that is where the history ends. Want to read the Linux news that matters as it unfolds? Well, head on over to our subreddit or our news channel on Discord. That's uh, linuxuserspace.show slash reddit or linuxuserspace.show slash discord, obviously for the Discord server. Um, you know, and, and you can follow along. We try to get the, the latest uh, articles as they happen. Leo's been doing a bang up job there as of late um you'll you'll read about great things like uh you know linux kernel 6.0 that just got released wow not that it matters a whole lot right because the numbers are arbitrary but but it's a whole new number yeah even even linus himself said that like he just runs out of you know fingers and toes so eventually we're just going to go on to the next version yeah uh, we also have a, a Telegram space, uh, linuxuserspace.show slash Telegram and Matrix, linuxuserspace.show slash Matrix, where we can have some interactive conversations uh, kind of on a daily basis. And our experience begins. Huh. What a journey they had to go through to get to this point. Yeah, I agree. And um, what a journey we had. Yeah. I did not expect uh, everything to go back as far as 1997. No kidding. Yeah. I, and, I and like, so having fiddled around with some of those early days projects, um, probably, unso- you know, somewhat unsuccessfully, though, I think I, I'd had my own router going for a little while back then, even. I'm not sure if the Linux router project was the one that I got to stick for a little while, but I I, I did do something, Um, and I do feel like that was one of the ones I messed with, Um, but I had no idea that that had morphed into what is now Alpine. I mean, yeah, yeah, it it, it never struck me that that Alpine would have come from an embedded router solution. Mm-hmm. But, you know, looking at it on this side of the history, I realized oh, yeah, it that it totally makes sense. It, 
Totally. It makes a whole lot of sense because mm-hmm. the initial versions of Alpine were stateless. Mm-hmm. They 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 just read the configuration off of whatever you fed it during boot. And that's exactly how not not just 1997 Linux router project routers ran. Right. That's how modern routers and switches absolutely run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so and and some of them, you know, obviously run Linux. Um, so that's 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 how they work. Right. Um, I mean, you you I, I know I don't know exactly how much Linux Juniper runs, but once you get down into the weeds outside of you know the the Juniper specific language, yeah, it's very Linuxy underneath there. Yeah, yeah. Well, certain certainly the file structures and some of those init systems that are happening there on. I I almost want to say most of the major manufacturers are are running that way, with probably the exception of Cisco. Um, yeah, I mean they they've got their own magic sauce, but like a lot of the other ones, they're they're running some sort of Linux kernel and file system, uh, you know, in there and running it in RAM, much like the early right. Linux router project. That's that's the entire. I mean, I, I think that that's it's a very valuable idea to be able to do something like that, and it and it really, um, I can't believe that that idea was was um, started and in '97, mm-hmm. and pri- I'm sure surely prior to that, but but it was uh, the, one of the first stateless Linux distributions yeah. in '97, uh, and yet it still persists. Almost what thirty, almost thirty years later. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Like it really seriously. Yeah. Yeah, and we still do that kind of thing every day. But the the most impressive thing I think about Alpine is that they took a turn uh adding LXC mm-hmm. back in about uh what what was it? Um 2012-ish, 2013-ish. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, 2013, May 17th, where they add LXC. Right. And that just sets the stage right. for them to become the de facto base of, I mean, many, many extremely popular Docker containers. Absolutely. You, you it, There's so many images out there that are Docker images that the base of them is Alpine. You don't know that probably, you, you probably don't pay attention to that. Like you, you're spinning up your Docker Compose thing and, you know, it's, it's just running through and you get your application on the other side, right? Um, yeah. A lot of them depend on Alpine and... So I, we joked last episode or the episode before that when we announced that we were doing Alpine that it was probably the most uh, installed Linux distro, and that's that's that was that was why we joked about that is because yep. it is in so many images that are in in Docker, and and we get to pad the numbers because every time yeah. you do an update, you throw away the old one and you get a new one. Therefore, a whole new installation of Alpine. Yeah. And, and and with the way those things work now, they're just like doing spin up containers automatically. So it seems, you know, on a whim. And as the load increases, there's another one. And then, you know, eventually you've got hundreds of them running. And, you know, next thing you know, you've got hundreds of thousands of them out on the internet. And so that yep. that's how you get to be the most popular installed distro. <laughs> but but the coolest thing I think is that like, you know, prior nineteen ninety seven mm-hmm. was when the when the stateless thing started started happening and, and um Alpine obviously adopted that. But it is the 
absolute best segue that you could ever have asked for to create an ecosystem mm -hmm. like Docker. Because what are Docker containers if not stateless Linux yeah. environments? Right. That's exactly what they are because your Docker configuration sits over here and the Linux container comes up stateless. Mm, yes. It has to read the configuration file and build the container build with those options as it's coming up. The yep. exact definition of stateless. It uh, the, the it just blows my mind that that the original ideas came from early early '90s engineers putting together Geniuses. stuff because I just want to have my configuration on a floppy mm -hmm. so that I can plug that in. Yeah, and, and you then... didn't want to be reading and writing to that all the time because floppies were slow even then. Um, exactly, and just read. That's it. Yeah, just read. Just read once, and you know, get it get it loaded into RAM, and then go from there. And I mean, that's basically how DOS worked, and even early days Windows. Like a lot of that stuff, you tried to load it to RAM as much as possible because right. reading it from a disk was really slow. Very slow. Yeah, yeah. I remember installing Office like early yeah. early versions of Office. What was Next it like a hundred disks? And <laughs> yeah. Next disk, please. Yeah, floppy disk eighteen now. Yep. Eighteen yeah. of thirty-two. Here we go. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, I mean, uh, if if you go back that far, you remember the stacks mm. of floppy disks, and if you if you lost one. Oh man. Yep. So hopefully one of your buddies has a copy yep. of that particular disc because otherwise You're not proceeding. You, nope. Hopefully mm. it's one of the extra discs that you didn't yep. have to load up. But otherwise, yeah, you're you're yeah. But the the, the whole stateless thing, I, I it didn't occur to me, but as as I was doing the history, it just blew me away because it is the basis of pretty much everything cloud now. Yeah. So Alpine just a fantastic piece of the overall puzzle of uh, the internet. So very big, very huge. Yeah. So it, it brings me to the three different ways that you can get this installed, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, the first one is the diskless mode. Um, that's where the system is loaded into RAM and run from there. You know, custom configurations and package selections may be optionally preserved using LBU or the Alpine local backup tool, um, which basically, you know, commits and reverts the system states using the special APK OVL file. Um, and those are saved to a writable storage location. And that's what's loaded on, on boot. Um, so like the Linux, I mean, that that's very much what the Linux router project was or leaf, uh, right. where it, it, it saved the state of the system if you will, when you told it to onto the floppy and then it would load that on, on boot time. Um, exactly. So any, any change you made, you had to commit stored it. on a flash drive yep. or, you know, I, I would suppose modern, modernly. Yeah. Now, now modern, you would, yeah. Flash drive. Is modernly a word? Modernly. It, it could, <laughs> you would use, it could be some network storage though too, but it's like probably True. something that isn't necessarily mounted per se, but like, uh, uh attached um so attached on demand i guess is, is the best way i would okay. term that if you will right i like that and that is the stateless mode i've been mm -hmm. uh it is i've been talking about this whole entire time so diskless mode is what it's called now yep. in alpine because you don't have a hard disk 
right? You don't have to you have a hard to, disk right? Could be to run Network Alpine. storage place, you know, USB, I don't know, whatever, right? Something that's not 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 the system right so yeah right and and that 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 i think is the beauty of it right mm-hmm. like alpine is separate from the things that you want to do and then you just mash them up chuck them into ram right and now you've got a full functioning system and it'll be that way until you reboot and at that point you just load it all up again yep and it does the exact same thing again which is great for like kiosk systems and Absolutely. things like that right yeah um, yeah. just, just for something that I can, um, kind of make an example out of, you walk up to something and let's say that you are able to get into that system and throw a root kit in there or something like that, some kind of virus or yeah. whatever. Um, yeah, whatever. Reboot it. Reboot it. Just, Gone. just reboot it. And the, the system as it was prior to anybody messing with it is the way that it's going to load up at that, at, at that boot. So absolutely fantastic way to approach uh, dealing with stuff that, I mean, hey, you may not even have physical access to, which is kind of cool. Right. And so that brings us to the next mode, which is the data disk mode. It's kind of similar um, to the diskless mode where it runs in RAM, but you would have a swap and your entire VAR would get mounted from a persistent storage location. So, so this is more what I was talking about with the flash drive, mm-hmm. having a flash drive there or something like that. So, okay. So data disk mode, yeah. having It's kind of a storage. mashup though, right? So like the, right. the old stateless mode, um, but not quite a full system install. Somewhere, somewhere in between, um, I guess, where you're only mounting a couple of bits, um, you know, and, and running it out of RAM. Right. Um, so, like, your swap is there on, on a disk, you know, but that's not going to be persistent anyway. Um, right. And, and then your, your VAR, so, your you know, all your variable stuff is, is going to get mounted. And that allows you to basically save your configurations um, and, and, and variable things. So, like, if you were running a web server or something, that would probably exactly. work pretty swell. Just going to say, because that's where that stuff gets stored is is in VAR. Um, so, you'd, your website would always come up the same and run in, in, in RAM. And then um, any configuration changes you made to your website... They would be there too next time you boot it. Right. They wouldn't get lost. Exactly. Exactly. And and it I mean that I, I feel like, you know, you take you take the website down for a whole five minutes so you can clone that USB drive All right. and plug it back in. And then you can make ten other drives just in case. Right. If that's the case, right? Like if you if if, if the drive if, if, if yeah, the for, yeah. site is local to you, right? Like otherwise. Yeah. 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 But yeah, yeah, definitely. So super cool there. And then that brings us to the last mode. That's the system. Now, this is the one that we used, right? And it's the one that you would typically think of for a traditional Linux install to your your SSD, your hard drive. Um, so this is what we chose. This is the system disk mode. This has got your traditional boot and swap and root. Uh, not not like root the you know person if you will, but like your root file system. Um, yeah, the file, the whole file structure, the whole, the whole file thing. structure. That all gets plopped down onto your selected storage device, and it's very much a, a traditional Linux uh, system at that point. Just like mm-hmm. you know, 
Ubuntu, Fedora, Debian, you, you name it. Like th- that's that's how they all get installed. Is 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 traditionally like this, right? Probably the way you want to do it for a traditional desktop installation, based on you know the configuration files need to be in a certain place, and you want to, you you want a home directory, you know, probably because that's where all your personal files are going to be. Well, how so. else are you going to run Firefox? <laughs> mm. Ooh, you went there. Anyway, I I we'll, went we'll, there. We'll I, get I, back I, to that in a minute. Um, I I just want to I I do want to give praises for the great options that are available there with those three different modes. They're very powerful. Not every distribution gives you that flexibility. Um not at all. Not at all. Um is there an Ubuntu edition? Well, you could kind of simulate some of those things with the data disk mode, potentially. But do you have to hack it together yourself? You're going to have to hack it together because yeah, most of exactly. them don't run out of RAM, right? I mean, there are a few different distributions that do that, but most do not. So right. um, that, that, that keeps this, it obviously has to be small and lightweight or else it isn't going to fit into your RAM space. Um, exactly. But it also makes it very fast, very, very fast to spin up new machines and clone another one and bring it up, you know, just kind of crazy fast. The the exact definition of what is required for containerization, which is mm-hmm. why Alpine is the perfect solution for that. Yep. No kidding. Yep. I, I, I'm going to talk about how, how it went for me now. All right. Um, yeah, I spent a great deal of time on my Totato Toshiba laptop. Totato, everything <laughs> is a potato, and I everything, love it. <laughs> everything I have is a potato. It really is. That's amazing. Um, so I install- I'll never get enough of it. I'll never ever. Probably not. Anyway, so <laughs> I installed Plasma on on my install here, and I, it, it it was. Pretty great. I spent the entire month in Wayland. So Wayland is default for whatever reason. Um on on Plasma, which isn't always recommended because I mean it's it's still a work in progress, if you will. Um probably a little more than GNOME as far as Wayland. Um but it was good. It was really good. Like uh, props. Right. So a couple props to the Alpine folks for putting it together, and then props to the the Plasma folks for developing. That's you know, where the real heavy lifting was. And and, and and bringing a good Wayland system these days. Um, good enough that I didn't even really notice most yeah. of the time. Um, so that was cool. I didn't bump into any issues like that. Um, well, I did. Uh, oh. What was what was what was interesting about that is we did on the live stream. Oh, um, there was that a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, okay, and so here's the thing, right? I, I guess in general, right? If you're coming into Alpine and you're like, "Hey, I don't want to do containers. I want to do a whole desktop. Why not?" I mean, yeah. that's kind of what we did. Um, be prepared for a little bit, not not the full like archway, the hard mode way, but you will have to read the wiki. You, oh, you will have do. to. You definitely yeah, do. Yeah. I, I would say Slackware level of, maybe you know. It's got some arch and void sort of feel to it a little bit. 
uh, maybe a little slackware twist somewhere. It's somewhere in between all of those. Uh, well, as far as as far as setup goes, setup. like yep. you know, running that initial script and then following the prompts. That's really all you have to do with Alpine. I mean, I will say there's some great scripts that they have you run. Oh yeah, and, and so like that's some of the stuff that you don't get necessarily in some of those other distributions. Just um, setup the dash setup set dash Alpine setup dash disk. Like those things, kind of like they pave the way for you and they really do a lot of the heavy lifting on the other side yeah and slackware doesn't do that right they're like you know just run f disk or cf disk and you know figure it out get your stuff (laughs) Uh done but alpine does have helper scripts to handle that kind of stuff for you so it's not quite as hard as a slackware install Mm -hmm. but you do have to read the wiki you do have to to know which ones to run yeah Right. And which packages to install mm-hmm. to get, if you're aiming for a desktop, which right. packages to install to get a full desktop. Because during that live stream, it was kind of a back and forth of a few different wiki pages where it was like, what does that mean? I don't exactly know exactly what that means. So I'm going to try right. this and we'll install that, you know, just in case we'll install that too, because it kind of seems like we might need that. And we got to the finish line. How many times? It was like three Three. times. I think three. Yeah. And it would not boot. And this is in GNOME boxes. Kind of. Like you got the green colored screen thing going on there. I don't know what that was. And okay. So I will admit, I found out later that I I didn't go and replicate it, but pretty sure, 95% sure. And that one was on me because I forgot to swap it from Wayland to X and try the boot after the yeah. uh, the display manager SDDM. I, I yep. did I did plasma plasma on the stream, uh, and yeah. it just did not occur to me. I, you know, I'm gonna blame you, Dan, because you it's were, my you fault. were saying uh, you, I got it off. I got it working on Wayland, and I was just so confident. Well, that was on hardware, not not a VM. So true, and it just did not occur to me. To change, uh, yeah, you know, it. from Wayland to X. Had I done that, well, we tried a bunch of stuff. So I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know where we had. I done that though. I bet you that would have booted up. Uh, it might very well have. Yeah, mm-hmm. pretty well. And I'll tell you why I think that because I did the full uh, system disk installation on my ThinkPad, and I ran into the same thing. Okay. It, for some reason, I don't know why, and it's like, it could have been my fault, so, you know, I'm not, this is not an Alpine thing, I don't I don't know that it's an Alpine thing, so it's very well my fault, but I got up and running, got Plasma installed, SDDM, got all the bits plugged in, followed the wiki as best I could, Wayland would not boot, mm. uh, well, it wouldn't get me past the display manager, mm. but when I swapped to X on my ThinkPad, it worked just fine. And okay. at that point, didn't have another problem. So it could be a display dr- driver compatibility, you know, potentially, right? Um, Possible, yes. I don't know. It's kind of weird, but um, which I could have yeah. could have been the same thing in the VM too, right? Because VMs have their own little display server stuff that's going on there. That is exactly what I'm thinking. Had I chosen X in boxes, it mm-hmm. very likely yeah, could it have just, just worked just fine. Yeah. yeah. That's fair. So, n- I didn't think of that. I I did try it in Quick Emu, and it um like kind of started it during the stream and finished it shortly after the stream, and um that worked fine. 
So Quickie yep. Mew was kind of the answer quickly. It quickly deflated my balloon yeah. of uh, my nerd cred. <laughs> you just take my nerd cred card away. Well, I didn't mean to do um, that, but it, it, it no, did. No, no, no. It was, it was me. <laughs> it did work. Um, and so at least that was good to see. I, I thought we were doing the right procedures, and it, it turns no, out I, we did. I, we did. I think, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I think we were. I, I don't think we made many if any mistakes but no just no, not it, choosing x was our our fatal flaw mm-hmm. and that that's what that's what got me on on a couple of different installs so but after that though i think that was the that was pretty much the last of my woes that Once was the hardest I, stuff yeah here's the thing remember we in the void episode mm-hmm. i don't think either of us went with the muscle option i think i tried that um in a vm Ah, uh, okay. Um, so I probably didn't, but really, not long term, right? I didn't not long term. Probably didn't get a lot of things installed um, that way either. Just just kind of right. went through the install process, if you will, um, and just checked out muscle, uh, you know, a muscle build to see how things went. So, but with Alpine, you don't get a choice. No, it's all muscle. Yeah. And the thing that you find out very quickly is. You can't just go and get some binary. You cannot. And run it. And and this this is very specific. I'm I'm thinking very specifically about app image. App you image. You can't just go get thing. one yeah. of those and run them because those things are compiled with glibc, mm-hmm. not muscle libc, and they just won't run. They they won't. Yeah, they don't work. have the right compile flags and all that stuff. Yeah, it's just not going to work. Exactly. And that brings me to Firefox. I mean, you need a web browser probably to do some stuff. Um, yep. On a it, modern internet connected system, like 99% of your and, stuff. And <laughs> uh, I get you want to provide a, a, a open source a variety of a web browser. Yep. Um, some of them stay up to date and current pretty good, but... Um, the one that was here was not. And yes, I, it was like, it doesn't change. It's like, it doesn't change from release date is the way it feels. Um, Cause we got Firefox 101, right? Right. Yeah. And I think, uh, let's see. So May, which would have been the fifth month, um, Alpine yep. 3.16 was released. Firefox 101 would have in been the, the repository thing. was in June-ish. So it may have gotten an update. But it's, I mean, we're at 105 now. Yeah, it's not, and it's, I, uh, yeah, it's not seeing enough updates, I don't feel like. Right. But if you go to the Edge repository, now this right. is, I, I don't, I don't think either of us. We did not try this. As, we, yeah, we didn't go down as far as to figure out if you can get a single package right. from Edge. But Firefox was up to date in the Edge In the Edge repository, channel. yep. Right. So I, I suppose there's a way that you can kind of like, you know, most packages come from stable, but you can go edge for grab, a couple of different edge. things. Surely there's probably a way to wait that. I don't we didn't dive into that yet, obviously. Uh I think if you were spending a little more time in there, you definitely want to figure that out, probably. Right. Or uh I mean, you know, I'm glad I didn't just, you know, try mm-hmm. it because it may well have updated everything. And while it may be stable, uh, I don't I don't know. Right. <laughs> I don't not, I, not, I did not live on edge. So right, I can't now that save. our testing is over, it might be the time to to dive into something like crazy like that and then report right. back. Um for sure. 
I tell you how I solved it. I mean, like Flatpak is a thing that's like up there in front and available. And it's kind of how I'm getting most of my applications these days. And so I just installed a web browser. I, I installed Brave and uh, via Flatpak and I uh, was good to go. Yep. So one of the things that you that you run into a lot in once you get past like the Ubuntu's and the Fedora's, you start running into a lot of distributions that do not use system D. And I think if I'm not mistaken, that pretty much negates all of Snap. You cannot yep, snap no. on a non system D you machine. Need right? system D. And so Right. And so on Alpine we're on OpenRC, so right. it's just not an option nope. for us. And and but that leaves us with Flatpak, and I'm kind of happy with that. Yeah, same. It leaves you with Flatpak and no app images either. So no snap, no app images. Actually, that is very true because we're on muscle libc instead of glibc, so right. that negates app image for a different reason, but still we're without it. Not there, yeah. And that, But that does leave us with Flatpak. And without getting too much into the weeds, yes, Flatpak is all glibc and all that kind of stuff. But the cool thing is that the, the runtimes are there to kind of right. facilitate you running these glibc packages. But the cool thing is, you know, cutting all that, all the jargon out, you get to run the apps that you want and the apps stay up to date. Absolutely. So what I'm, what I'm getting at with this is Flatpak to the distributions that adopt it or at least enable it. Mm -hmm. um, allow you to enable it have made so many more distributions a viable option for a day-to-day -day distribution that is amazing flatpak you've done such every everybody that works on flatpak from the absolute top to the absolute bottom you've done so much to allow people to expand and just run silly things like discord on distributions that would not ever have been able to run software like that. Yeah, or hey, it something very fundamental amazing. like a web browser that is up to date, right? And that's how you that's how you get Firefox 105 on Alpine. That's the easy, well, easy, easy way. Right, <laughs> without without trying to figure out what Edge does and how right. to integrate that into the system without breaking anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, Flatpak, you're my savior. You 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 made. Uh, this entire journey way better than I, I think it would have been otherwise. You know, no app image, no snap. APK, which mm -hmm. is the way that you install stuff in yep. Alpine, is way, way different. Um, what what is it? It's it's APK add. Add. Yep. That that blows your mind every time. Like I mistype that every time. Every single. I want to type I APK install, and that is wrong. Don't do that. It's like wrong. it's like it's like Pac-Man S. Like well, guy. Yeah, you know that <laughs> one's different. But this it one, does, it breaks. It breaks my brain. This one is just so, like a the word. It's a synonym, but it's not right. Yeah, that that's where it breaks your brain. So so here's the other thing is like all of these things are coming from the community repository too, because um, the main repository is actually really really small. Um, yes, and Fi it, Firefox lives in the community repository. It does. So this is not something that Alpine uh, deals with. I don't. I don't even know if um, if that would be a thing. I don't know. As it needs to be. Uh, right, right, right. Exactly. Because you know we've got Flatpak. We can get around this. This is not a big issue. No, but it is. But but because like it's it's uh it's it's certainly server first, if you will, distribution. Yes. Um the main repositories where you're gonna get all those things. Um and they'll get the the updates well 
you know, the security updates and stuff like a lot faster. Um, that's where the focus is. is exactly. Keep, keep your system running. And then all of these other community things, they get updated too, just not necessarily on the same cadence. And, you know, sometimes like the edge repository or the edge channel will will see the updates and they might not make it to the regular stable uh update channel because well it's supposed to be stable well yeah exactly um and and it's very much like clear in that Mm -hmm. i think the focus for alpine on the desktop was not so that a regular ubuntu user could decide one day that yeah you know you know i'm not trying to do ubuntu anymore i'm gonna i'm i'm gonna we're going to skip over the the fedoras and the manjaros and the mm-hmm. endeavors and we're just going to go straight to alpine it it's for the developers that develop on top of alpine yeah. to have a similar situation on the desktop mm-hmm. so that you don't get this weird culture shock right when oh i've been working in alpine all day now i'm going to go to an ubuntu box which is totally different right. as far as your your package management tools are different. Like your but, but and, and like, nobody else does APK. Like the, like <laughs> yeah no they don't and like but like your init system is different and your 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 C library is different. Like it gets you used oh, to that whole very much whole so. whole and you know th- ecosystem if you will, and gets right. you comfortable with that so that you can translate that into you know the development work that you need to do on the server side probably. Exactly. It smooths the transition mm-hmm. from desktop to server so that you can get your work done and just move along with life yeah. instead of fighting your distribution so that it behaves like the distribution that you're on all day for work or something. I tell you so, what, though, I, it felt like a very functional, very well put together distribution, just the same. Um, I had like no issues just doing daily task stuff on my laptop that, that, that I, that I do elsewhere. And that includes like watching, you know, proprietary video codec stuff. Um, Ah, the old Netflix Netflix test test and the Hulu (laughs) test. Like I did that. Like, that's fine. Like that's what I do on my laptop in the living room when I'm sitting in the chair is I'll have a video going at the same time and and be typing away into the, like our Cody doc or something. Um, It it, it all worked. Like it, it, like it it was not, there was not a hiccup. Like it, it just functioned. And I I have to agree. I mean, everything that I wanted came um, – it, it was either available uh, as an APK ad yep. or I was able to grab it from uh, Flathub. Yep. And at that point, what else do you really need as far as a functional computer that runs yep. Linux goes? You, I, I don't feel like you need much more than that. Now, once you start getting into – Oh yeah, this one project from GitHub. I need to do this and that. Okay, maybe there are some differences between Alpine and you know anything else. But generally, if you can if you can grab pretty much anything you want to from FlatHub, and I could, why not? Yep, I had a good time on it. Once you get great time, Pat. Yeah the the installations you got to read, you've got to pay attention. But once you get past that, add Flatpak. It's pretty much like anything else at that point. 
Yeah, and just so for some context to to how bad my potato machine really is, um, it's it's <laughs> I a love it. it's it's a third gen i three with four gig of RAM. Wow. Okay. So so for context, my ThinkPad is a fifth gen i five with twenty gigs of RAM. So I've I've got a bit of an advantage mm-hmm. on you. Yeah. But yet somehow you were able to run Wayland, and I was not. I ran Wayland. <laughs> I was running, what? you know, Hulu videos, and like they didn't stutter or anything either. Like I didn't notice it. And on top of all that, it's got a fifty four hundred RPM uh, spinning disk drive in it. It's not even an SSD. Oh wow. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. So yeah, you you really beyond the pale as far as uh, yeah. what I'm dealing with goes. So yeah, it's a little slow to boot, kudos but be, to you. beyond that, it, like it, it just performed excellent. Like it was it was wow. just great. Well, you know that that's that's the best thing about having a minimal. Well, that's system. it. Yeah, you're building it up from like nothing. Almost exactly. They they do all the heavy lifting for you with their cool setup scripts, but after that, it's pretty much up to you to decide. Well, do you want mm-hmm. that additional service running, or what? You know, whatever whatever it takes that that you want your computing experience to be like. Mm-hmm. You kind of get to decide. Well, and I have to I have to probably give some credit to the muscle libraries, right? As far as Man. being optimized and just you know working better, maybe. I don't know. That is something that I couldn't quantify, but I kind of have to say it felt fast. Yeah, it did. I didn't do numbers on anything, no, but... We didn't run tests, but I do have to say that Alpine just ran fast. It felt fast, (laughs) yeah. How do you... Yeah, without without being able to back it it up. Yeah. It is, but without backing it up with hard numbers or whatever, that's the best I can do is tell you... Yeah, it was kind of fast. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad you had a good experience, Leo. Um, I did. I might not keep it around on the laptop, but like I want to try it on some other systems now. I really want to try the Pi, uh, you know, the Raspberry Pi versions um, mm-hmm. and see how well those work because like it worked really well on this machine, which is ancient. Um, I want I want to see it run some other places and maybe even some VMs and stuff too, just like some specialized server VMs just to run some things. I, I want to see how well it works there as well. I think it, it it seems like it could be a top contender. I mean, uh, if if you're not going out and grabbing random binaries from the internet to run on your system, I mean, yeah, no, you're just right. utilizing the the packages that are in the repositories um, for some of those basic level server things. Like it seems to make sense. Yeah, because at that at that point, why not? Mm-hmm. Because you're getting the benefit of a, a very slim system. Right. You're getting the benefit of compiling with muscle, which does give you a slight performance edge. And you're dealing with a Raspberry Pi in the first place, which doesn't have, you know, I nine levels no, of it performance out here. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it it seems like a very good match. It seems like a and good fit. They've yeah. had they've had Pi they've they've had uh Pie builds for Alpine oh, long since enough. the very first pie. Yeah, so you know they they, they work well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and there's exciting. a lot of other different uh, variants too. Um, I I like that they they give you a lot of options as far as you know ISOs to download, and they're all super small because yeah, like it it's like it it runs in RAM. Um, it downloads the the packages from the internet. Yeah. Um, so all of the images are crazy small, and it's only downloading the things that you need to download. So exactly, kudos to that Man. too. 
Exactly. So if you like art, you probably like Alpine. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Or maybe even some, you know, void touches um, too, because, you know, Open RC, like it's got some similar feel vibe to it, right? Very much so. So if you like either of those or the blend of the two, um, there you go. I, I'd say give it a whirl. This is it. The most popular Linux distribution on the planet. Yep. If you want to send us some email and get some feedback going, contact at linuxuserspace.show. And you can always get all of the links at linuxuserspace.show. So the next show uh, is one of those, is one of those, um, for some reason, we decided to do history all the time. Ah, we're loving it. We are loving it. It's been a lot we of fun. History podcast. So, at least technology wise, we got we got to pick another history thing, and we picked it in. Did we picked it in the last? We, we episode, picked it in right? the last yeah, one. We, yeah, we did it during the feedback. So if you're if you're caught up on your episodes, you already know what's coming. But if you're not, then buckle up because we've done Vim and Vi. We've done Emacs. We've done Ed. Mm-hmm. What we haven't done is Nano. And as far as the war goes, Ed, me, Vivim, and mm-hmm, Emacs, mm-hmm. that's where the war is that, happening. There's, there's a war there, but there's, there's still a war between Nano and some of those as well. Yeah, I think, I think, you, get, I think you get the folks that don't want to participate in the war that using Nano. That, sure, <laughs> I'll buy it's that. A, it's a look, man. I just want to do the one thing and then make the change and then hit control S and then leave. Yeah. Well, it tells me need... down at the bottom that I want to hit control S to save that <laughs> too, by the exactly. way. Exactly. So that's, so that's kind of cool. The focus next time is going to be GNU's Nano. If you yeah. didn't get enough of the uh, GNU... <laughs> that guy. The GNU guy. Yeah. Um, or the Free Software Foundation. Well, guess what? We're going to get another one getting coming. Getting more of it. Yep. Getting more. So, uh, we're going to have some exciting topics uh, as well. I'm, I'm sure we'll have some feedback. Yep. You need to let me know. Um, if, if you want me uh, or Dan to take a side on an issue, I think you've got to send it in. You've got to send it in. Contact at linuxuserspace.show or... Catch us on, you know, the places, Telegram, Matrix, Discord, blah, 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 blah. You know the places by now. We've told you a million times. I, I think Catch this us. next editor will will hear a side of Leo, perhaps. It's my favorite one. I use it all the time. What can I do? I, I just, We already covered my favorite, so, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm just changing the zero to a one, Dan. I don't need Vim bindings for mm. that. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> The other thing that we have to do right here, right now, we do is uh, we got to pick a distro. Man, we this is going to pick... be an all Leo Leo month. Oh boy, I've been fighting so long just to get Dan to tell me yes on yeah, this one. He's not kidding. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing: before I even tell you what it is, I'm going to ask you to be a responsible netizen mm-hmm. right that is, that is a citizen that. on the internet mm-hmm. and and before i even tell you what the distro is i'm gonna ask you to run it in a vm and do not give that vm access to the internet yep that's fair yep. unless 
Mm. I probably shouldn't even unless, unless? but I'm going to unless. Where are you going with that? You are pretty darn good with networking mm. because, let me tell you why, let me tell mm. you why, because mm-hmm. some of the things that come in this distro are primed and ready to do not good things That's on true. The That's true. I'm going to clarify something, and I'm actually going to going to help you out here a little bit, Leo. Okay. Okay. It's not necessarily that they're poised to do bad things necessarily. Uh-huh. That's not the intention of the the applications that we get. You're correct. It the 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 but bad things can happen if you're not careful. Let's put it that way. Well, what 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 do they say about? dangerous tools is you have to practice with them you have to know the limitations Mm -hmm. you have to Mm -hmm. know what's going on you really do have to just respect the tools and part of that respect is understanding what goes in to using those tools with with great power comes great responsibility i couldn't have said it (laughs) any better i it would it didn't even come to my mind to say that but beautiful there it is. Absolutely beautiful. So, with all that being said, the next distro is Kali Linux. Mm-hmm. I really have. I've been chasing you for a long time. You have. Dan, you have. To, to do this one. Um, but, yes, yeah, I mean, you know, in all seriousness, there, there really is a whole lot of things that, that could go wrong. Oh, yeah. Uh, by using the tools that come into Kali. That, that that come with Kali that you know I mean you just install you just grab the regular one and install it and it's got really helpful tools like it, it uh, the open vulnerability assessment system that you can use to scan your own network to find out your own vulnerabilities yeah. but as I was saying before you put the wrong subnet in there and now yeah. it's scanning out there on the internet do don't just random right so if you if you feel like you see an IP address with a slash mm-hmm. 30 at the end of it or a slash 16 at the end of it. And you're like, I don't know what that is. Not the distro. Yeah, yeah, maybe stop now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just no, mm-hmm. normally we advocate that you, you know, maybe want to try installing this and follow along at home. You potentially might want to sit this one out. That's, that's all I'm going to say. Like it, it could right. be like, if you don't feel comfortable with those things, Leo's right. You probably listen to the, the history that we're going to be giving you. Um, we'll probably touch on a couple of the tools. I, there's no way we're going to be able to cover all of them. Um, in, Ooh, in great no. detail. That's not <laughs> happening. Nuh-uh. Um, I do like me some Ettercap and some Metasploit and some OpenVaz, but oh boy, there's no way we can get through all of those things. No, so we're going to no. focus on the Kali. AKA backtrack history. Right. But um, yeah, some of those tools will make their way in. But. Oh, I did. Yeah, inherently that, that's going to happen. Um, but certainly not all of them. Um, some of them have been there since uh, almost since the beginning of the, the distro, I think. So we'll find that since out. Since before. Yeah. Yeah, potentially. Yeah. 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 So cool stuff. Um, I'm going to enjoy it. I, I'm I'm just gonna say that I'm gonna enjoy it. I'm gonna embrace it. Underneath um, it all, it really is just Debian testing. It, it is. If you plan on ignoring the tools and you just want to run the Kali for the Kali, then it does right. Like there, there's no there's no root login anymore. You you log in right. as a regular user. You get a a really cool uh, Zish prompt and everything. And you can use it as Debian testing. I love all that. Normally, I do install these and run them as my daily driver. 
that's not going to be the case here. I am going oh, to install gonna, it. I'm going to do I'm it. I'm going to use it, and I'm going to use some of the tools that are in it for what they're supposed to be used for. That um, is going to be the interesting part. And and so, but like, yeah, I'm not going to run this and watch my Hulu videos from it, okay? <laughs> Probably. Yeah, that might not be a good idea. Yeah, just saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I, I do think... Um, if the episode goes long, I'm not going to say that it is, but if it does, if it accidentally goes too long, it's going to be because we get into the weeds of the tools and yeah, like, the results that we do. got back and the, the mm-hmm. things that we learned because of it. Right. But, right, like both Dan and I have a have a pretty decent background in sysadmin and networking and everything else. So um makes a bit of a difference in a situation like this. Yeah. And so like at work, we definitely have some commercial products that employ some of the same tools that are inside of Cali. And and they, they do that sort of thing on a scheduled basis, scheduled task basis. Um, and then they, they display reports. So, but this allows you to do some of those same things on a one time and have real time information in front of you so you can make remediation. Right there and then, so that's exactly. So that's, that's the that's the, that's, the, that's the takeaway I think that it's you, about you get. protection. Mm-hmm. So stay tuned. Tell us all the things on Reddit, Twitter, Mastodon, Telegram, Matrix, Discord, whatever. Um, however you do it, join the conversation. All the links and show notes uh, on LinuxUserspace.show. So Leo, uh, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me uh, at Leo Chavez on Twitter or at Leo Chavez at Mastodon.social. All right. And you can find me at KC2BZ on Twitter and at KC2BZ at Mastodon.technology on Mastodon. Uh, join us in two weeks when we return to the Linux user space. So reading through some of the early stuff before Alpine, I actually yeah. remember some of that stuff. I remember the Linux router project. That is fantastic. I don't, and I wish I did. Um, that is so cool. I feel man. like I attempted to try to set that up once and failed, but that was that was a long time ago. Knowing what I did in Mandrake around 2000-ish, um, man, no, LRP would have just destroyed me. And I would never have touched Linux again. <laughs> I didn't say I had success. I went, true, true. Well, you, you obviously have more gumption than I do, because I don't think I would have kept going after that, man. Uh, I'm, I'm just barely figuring out Windows 98 SE over here. I, I feel like I tried that on some dumpster machine that, that I had pulled out, you know, like a ancient thing, and uh, just was was hacking around on it anyway. <laughs>